Hello, my name is Daniel Lev Shkolnik, and this is Reenchantment, a podcast about finding wonder in a secular age. My faith lies in humanity, not the supernatural. And if you believe that spirituality is fundamentally about cultivating the human spirit, then this podcast is for you. In this episode, Mike Myers and I talk about two subjects that are very close to our hearts, the Jewish Kabbalah and the Hermetic Kabbalah. Both are mystical, esoteric traditions. The Jewish Kabbalah is in the Jewish faith, and the Hermetic Kabbalah is a more general kind of occultism that is found in the Western tradition. They are in many ways similar and in many ways different. And we talk about those similarities and differences in this show. And we also talk about why two otherwise skeptical-minded guys would be interested in these subject matters. Why we've spent so many hours reading about and learning about these systems. And what they can tell us about the human mind and how it interacts with creating meaning in our lives and the world. And if you can't get enough of this stuff, check out the After Hours recording, where we talk about all of our favorite things about the two Kabbalahs that we did not get to talk about in the main episode. And with that, I hope you enjoy the show. Here's our conversation about the Kabbalah and the Kabbalah. Mike Myers, welcome back to Reenchantment. Thank you so much, Daniel. It's a pleasure. Today, we have a very exciting episode on Kabbalah and Kabbalah. Yeah, we've been really excited about this episode. For those that don't know, the Kabbalah is, in the Jewish sense, a mystical system. It is spelt with a K, K-A-B-B-A-L-A-H, something like that. And then the Hermetic Kabbalah, mm-hmm. uh, spelled with a Q instead yep. of a K, is a different it's a different tradition that makes use of judaic mystical resources for different ends and fills it with different content and there it creates two distinct spiritual mystical systems and i get the sense that there's some There's an intellectually interesting question about the overlap and the distinctions, but there's also a uh, a really interesting question about how what attracts us who are who are largely secular people to it, and also how what the relationship is between the 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 communities that that practice these two different systems are right and yeah all of that. yeah yeah and and so this is gonna be we're gonna try and keep this as grounded as possible because both of us have a tendency when we talk about these systems which i i know the jewish kabbalah better and and mike knows the hermetic kabbalah better mm-hmm. uh but we can get very quickly into the weeds of technical um it's kind of it kind of almost gets to be like advanced physics it does <laughs> and kabbalah is very it has dimensions that are very mathematical it has dimensions that are very layered and nuanced and sometimes and sometimes yeah yeah. uh, so we're gonna try and keep things simple (laughs) simple as possible there's as few we agreed before the podcast to use as few uh, obtuse old jewish Jewish words words. yeah yeah but yeah i think to we should start off answering each of us answering this question of why why are we interested in these systems because 
We are generally skeptical guys about the metaphysical. We are open-minded, but at the same time, what what is what is the purpose? Why have we spent each of us so many hours and so much thought trying to understand and learn about these systems? Well, if if I I guess for this one I'm starting the. I have two basic reasons. One is why I got into it in time, the actual reason, and why I continue to be into it. Why I got into it in time is that I, if you'll see episode one of Reenchantment, I really like tarot cards, and the tarot, at least as it's conceptualized in its modern form, is basically a pictorial representation of the Hermetic Kabbalah. There is a question about when that happened, if tarot cards existed first, or if the Hermetic Kabbalah, or if the tarot was invented as an expression of the Hermetic Kabbalah, like there are those kinds of questions. There are a lot of historical questions about both Kabbalahs that are extremely murky, especially dating certain texts and saying this came before this other thing and da 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 da. But uh, so I was interested in the tarot, and in order to really get a good grasp of the tarot, I think that you need a good grasp of the Hermetic Kabbalah first. Mm. Second of all, I would say I'm still interested in it because I think that certainly the Hermetic Kabbalah provides a framework. One of the questions that I found myself asking myself a lot when I sort of defected from Catholicism was okay, so if I don't believe that a man was crucified and resurrected from the dead, then the logical next question to ask is, well, why do so many people believe it? And why is it such a persuasive story? Why is that? And you need, you need some idea of, even if it's not the Jungian concept, you need some idea of an archetype as, or a meme, as some kind of thing that propagates itself down culturally throughout throughout history mm-hmm. and i think that the hermetic kabbalah becomes a way of organizing and understanding the religious traditions of the west as archetypal expressions of each other in a way that makes comparative religion really come to life in a really interesting way for me. Mm. So there's a kind of like an aesthetic, an emotional, like you know, just love of the way in which it, it ties together these different systems. Yes, absolutely. And describes processes of transformation and and we'll get into it, but well, well I'll save that for this. Yeah. Yeah. I, I guess um, hearing your answer, I think I, th- I think the reason that I got into Jewish Kabbalah is because I'm Jewish. Yeah, <laughs> I think I I can't I can't extricate that aspect mm-hmm. of it, and I was uh, I remember it was in college, kind of end of college. I started talking with this postdoc, Gabriel Citron mm-hmm. at Yale, and he pointed me towards William James and mm-hmm. his book on varieties of religious experience, and pointed me towards the mystical element there, and then mysticism in Judaism is the Kabbalah. Yeah. So I became very interested in in that tradition within my own heritage. Mm-hmm. And I think the reason why I've continued with it even even as like I'm not even as I read it, even if I I'm not taking it literally, mm-hmm. but I t- you know, I read this and it's and it's fascinating meaning making. It's yes. it's like it's like real magic. Yeah, I agree. I I want to supplement real quick, if you don't mind me doing so, and mm-hmm. say that I went through a period of 
flirtation with Eastern religions, as most people do. And we, we all have that fling at yeah. some point in our lives, us um, from the West. Yeah, and there are problems with that. And it, we all know that there are problems with it. First of all, I don't have the cultural background of a person who can study Zen Buddhism in earnest. I don't have the language. I don't have the... I don't have all sorts of things. There's there's dodgy questions about cultural appropriation. Mm -hmm. There are questions about... There are all these different questions. But I was really interested in meditation. I was really interested in those kinds of projects of, of sort of maybe spiritualizing myself or bettering myself. Mm -hmm. And so I came... So I decided to seek out traditions in the West in which in which forms of meditation had and forms of, of mysticism had become had had taken root and had bloomed. And Kabbalah is definitely one of them, mm-hmm. both in its Jewish form and its Hermetic form. And to the point where Dion Fortune, who is one of the authorities of on twentieth century Kabbalah, her book is by the way, I would recommend to anybody say it's beautiful, but it also, the whole first chapter is filled with 19th century scientific racism. So I would... Reader be warned. Reader be warned. If you're going to throw out the book when upon encountering that, then don't read the book. But if you can get past that, then it's a it's probably the best text on Hermetic Kabbalah that is is around or that i've seen at least Mm. and or at least like primer text basic Mm -hmm. text and she where was i going mysticism mysticism blooms in in those two traditions it it blooms in various other traditions so i became interested in western mystic traditions in general and one of you know the hermetic kabbalah attracts me because it allows me to sort of synthesize mystic traditions the hermetic kabbalah not the jewish kabbalah yeah, yeah, and we'll and we'll get into into more of that how Hermetic Kabbalah works really well as this kind of bridge between different traditions, and the <clears throat> we were talking about it the other day how it's almost like a a layering of one system on top of another mm-hmm. that allows them to to talk and to to work as a as a whole and you know with the ultimate aim of kind of finding one one system one religious system that is 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 true mm-hmm. like that that looks at everything that is going on in the world in terms of religions and and just try to unify mm-hmm. and and in a way like i you can very much understand the desire for that mm-hmm. almost like like in physics a grand unified theory yeah. uh where you don't have like oh thermodynamics works this way and general relativity is like this and quantum mechanics is like that you don't have christianity judaism buddhism etc you only have one true system mm. and that is essentially as i understand it what the hermetic kabbalah tries to do largely and i and i think well it tries to establish the architecture for a true system and i remember somebody telling me about philosophy of language particularly in analytic philosophy saying like whenever somebody starts talking about a theory of meaning it's because they want to say that some other philosopher's work is meaningless (laughs) and so hermetic kabbalah does have that quality in which to cite Dion Fortune once again, she describes it as the yardstick by which we measure spiritual practice, Western spiritual practices, where she would use, like a hardcore Hermetic Kabbalist, or in the tradition of Dion Fortune, or Dion Fortune herself, would use it as a way to separate true ritual magicians 
from or ceremonial magicians from charlatans mm -hmm. people who were people who were cold reading you versus people who are actually reading the tarot like, right. so the kabbalah becomes a way to make not just establish the truth Mm -hmm. of certain things, but also to establish the falsehood of various kinds of spiritualisms, which were very popular when Misfortune was writing around, you know, the early 20th century, late late 18th century. So it, it sort of serves both purposes. Yeah. All right. So let's, uh, before, okay, so to help structure this conversation, Mike and I are, are going to play a little game. Each of us is going to take five minutes to try and explain the very complex, murky, and, and layered histories of each of the two types of Kabbalah that we're going to talk about. And, and we're going to, yeah, we're going to see how, how far we can get and how clear we can be in synthesizing. Okay, so I'm, you got you got a timer? I do. All right, all right. We got all, all right. right. We got a radar radar for the the, the alarm. <sighs> I need to take a deep breath. Okay. All right. Start me. Go. So the Jewish Kabbalah. My personal understanding of the Jewish Kabbalah it comes in large part from Gershom Shalom, whose book I have in my hand on the Kabbalah and its symbolism. Mm -hmm. Shalom essentially single-handedly created the scholarly study of Kabbalah. Okay. It was basically just something that Jewish mystics were, were would do for in their in their corner, in their little rabbinic uh, corners. But Shalom really took it seriously as a mm. scholarly discipline. And so and he lived in mid-20th century. He was... Anyway, time is running. He, <laughs> he discovered that the Zohar, which is the central... One of the central Kabbalistic texts was most likely not written by the by the, this Shimon by Yoshai, who is this rabbinic, supposedly the rabbi that that wrote it in uh, like 70 CE, and was this kind of had the Kabbalah passed down to him from from the era of Moses, but rather was written in 13th century Spain by Moses de Leon, and this was. As scholars widely consider it today, this was the origin of the Kabbalah in 13th century Spain. Now, what the Kabbalah is trying to do, why it matters for the Jewish people, is that it is meant to be a, uh, a way to guide the Jewish people through exile, mm -hmm. both physical, like terrestrial exile, exile eventually trying to get back to Israel, mm -hmm. but also later on, exile also from Spain itself mm -hmm. uh, during the Inquisition. Uh, Isaac Luria was a major figure in, in, in the history of Kabbalah, and he cre he was infused and in, 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 in wrote much of his stuff in the aftermath of the exile from Spain mm -hmm. during the Inquisition. Uh, so the Kabbalah is trying in its grandest kind of ideals to repair a broken world. Mm -hmm. It is understood in the Kabbalah that when, when God created the world, there was a, a shattering of the vessels that was, were meant to contain all of creation. And as a result, those fragments, those shards, are scattered throughout the world, and they, they exist in the souls of people, they exist all over the place. And taking uh, inspiration from the Gnostics, one of the main goals of uh, a Kabbalist is to raise up the sparks and reunite them with the divine. Damn, I only have two minutes left. Okay, if you need <laughs> the, a couple more No, minutes. no, no, we're playing the game. All right. So, so uh, that is like the theurgic, the, the divine magic aspect of Kabbalah. There's also a more practical element of Kabbalah of like 
taking the the name of names secret names of God, putting them in little amulets and using them to heal the sick and uh, ward off debuks, uh, which is Jewish spirits, mm-hmm. thaumaturgic elements. So there there are different ways in which people have used Kabbalah for different ends, but it is essentially it is a it is a mystical tradition. In the sense that it came about, and, and this is a, this is a, a theory that is out there, it, it came about as I think many mystical traditions do, as a way to reinvigorate the religious tradition. That in 13th century Spain or in 13th century uh, in general, the rabbinic Jewish tradition was getting rather stiff. Mm-hmm. It was getting rather dogmatic, or, or just like it needed invigoration. And the Kabbalah was a way in which to, I guess, find new water mm-hmm. to to kind of ha- have those the fields, the drying, uh, cracking fields of of the religion burst with new life. Mm-hmm. And it continued. It, it was a, a rather radical and and challenging um, to, to traditional rabbinic authority. It, it was constantly pushing the bounds of how how to interpret the, the Torah, the Jewish Bible, and it was at first seen as a dangerous thing, mm. and you had to be at least 40 years of age before you could study the, the Kabbalah, but over time, much of the, that kind of innovation, the radical innovation of the Kabbalists, was incorporated into Orthodox Judaism, which brings us with 15 seconds left to today, where we have much of Kabbalah as a mainstay of Judaism, an incredibly important life-giving element of the Jewish tradition and boom five minutes the jewish kabbalah there it is folks i missed so much that's it that's so <laughs> i'm i feel enlightened can i ask you a question or two before i launch into my sure, five minutes sure yeah so first of all the is there a notion of the clip off in the jewish kabbalah the the kalipot is that how it's pronounced? Um, I, I'm actually not sure. That is how I pronounce it. Okay. Uh, but it's like the, the dark shells. Yeah, the shells in which, in the in the Hermetic Kabbalah, certainly, that each shell, it, it forms, like, it forms the tree of death. And right. each shell corresponds to a demon as opposed to an aspect of the... Yeah, I, I, and I think, and this, I'm, I'm less familiar with that, but mm. uh, they're, they're definitely, the, the Kilipot in... Are so people will most likely have seen the the sefirot, mm-hmm. which is which is the tree of life, yeah. um, which looks like a bunch of like kind of balls connected with little sticks, kind of like a connects set. I would recommend, by the way, that anybody listening to this pull up an image of the tree of life because we are going to go through it at some point. So yeah, it, it would it's useful just to see it. You'll probably have seen it before, but the, that's the kind of the tree of life. Obviously, it's 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 good. It's bright. All good things come from it. The kalipot are in the Jewish conception shells that obscure the light of God mm. and it's not and, and and it's they're kind of like almost like 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 walnut shells kind of is how mm-hmm. I think about it mm-hmm. that like yeah and part of the the great effort of the Kabbalists and then the supposedly the Messiah mm-hmm. is that they are able to go down into those shells and take up the the sparks that are so deeply embedded in the darkness mm-hmm. uh, that nobody else can raise them up mm-hmm. and supposedly the, the Messiah when when the Messiah goes down raises them up and reunites them with with God and the divine mm-hmm. when all of the sparks are collected again Again, mm-hmm. the world becomes whole, history ends. So it becomes yeah. a Jewish mystical theory of evil, or, or what's the word? The, not theosophy. The, the theodicy. Theodicy, that's the word I'm looking for. It becomes, it becomes a Jewish mystical theodicy. Okay, cool. So I was just curious about that. And the other thing I was curious about is that in my understanding, 
this concept of emanation mm. is it's a very Jewish concept mm. and it seems to come from the fact that in Judaism God is radically one is radically singular has no properties or attributes right and yet there are 10 sefirot the tree of life is made right. of 10 parts we won't don't, don't think about it too much yeah so uh, <laughs> we can talk about what that means in relation to god's oneness but the so god is radically one and and really the i might even say that saying him is is not entirely accurate yeah god uh, god is intersexed yeah and and it's especially in the kabbalistic notion it it much like in the gnostic idea of the ultimate divine being it's it, it's not an anthropomorphic mm. understanding of god it's not a bearded man in the sky but rather uh it's something called uh, which is the the infinite yeah we're going to talk about differences between ein sof in the different traditions yeah so but speaking of different traditions it's time for you okay to do your five minutes on the hermetic kabbalah okay cool so my five minutes is going to start now the, i might not need five minutes but i might also be more constrained than Daniel for time. The Hermetic Kabbalah is, its origins are kind of shrouded in mystery. And the reason why is because it very well may have started, it may very well may have been, it, it may, or may well have been popularized in occult circles by the Knights Templar when they went to the Holy Land, right, to go and just murder people and do whatever, you know what I mean? <laughs> whatever other business they had. Whatever they did. It seems like the Knights Templar inherited the Kabbalah. Now, this is, this is the standard occultist narrative, so I'm not necessarily sure if this is going to hold up to historical scrutiny. But the... Furthermore, I do want to say that, that it's... The Hermetic Kabbalah, Hermetic Hermes Trismegistus, Trismi, Thrice Great Hermes, mm -hmm. he as a figure is a is a sort of legendary sage who lived in sort of Hellenic Egypt. And legendary may not have actually existed. May not have actually existed. A whole bunch of texts are attributed to him. Most famously, the phrase "as above, so below" is attributed to him. Mm -hmm. it, there seem to be, and we'll. We're, we'll get to this, but there seem to be Hermetic influences on the oldest Jewish Kabbalah, Kabbalistic work being the Sefer Yetzirah. So that's an interesting question. I'll just mm -hmm. bracket that. But that's why it's called the, the Hermetic Kabbalah, is because Hermes believed, at least according to the text attributed to him, that there is, that God expresses himself to every culture every people in a different unique way and what that means is the breath of god or the word of god forms a unifying thread through the different traditions through the different western traditions and that sort of primordial or unified religious experience or spirituality is kind of the quest that the western mystic has traditionally been on now it is certainly true that first the Christians appropriated the Kabbalah f in Spain from the Jews and as and Christianized it in an attempt to convert Jews. That happened. I believe that's the th a third type of Kabbalah, right? Uh, the, the Kabbalah was C. With, with a C, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so it wasn't complicated enough. Yep. <laughs> then it's, it is true that Christian Kabbalah had an influence on the Hermetic Kabbalah as well, but a lot of this stuff was handed down through initiatory schools over time, being, first of all, the 
the Knights Templar, followed by the Rosicrucians, followed by the Freemasons, followed by the Hermetic Order of the Golden Dawn, followed by the the OTO, even to this day, right? And it, supposedly, there there have been a lot of allusions to ancient manuscripts, which have only been kept within initiatory traditions, which haven't been admitted to outside scholarship. I don't know if that's true or not. Mm-hmm. Uh, it makes a good story. But yeah, but it makes a good story. And... One minute warning. Just one minute warning. And now the actual function of the Kabbalah itself is to sort of organize and systematize all the different pantheons of of gods, first, first of all, right? So Thoth and Hermes become both become associated with the same Sephiroth and therefore in some sense are expressions of each other. All the different gods of all the different fray, it might be associated with Venus, might be associated with whoever, right, with Isis or whatever. All the different gods of all the different pantheons in the West end up being able to be organized within this these 10 buckets and therefore revealing 10 aspects of divinity that all of these cultures have tapped into whether or not they realize it and that's the kind of project of hermetic kabbalah and it's an ongoing project too it's not a closed one done all right boom five minutes Yeah, I, I want to pick up on on that right on that ongoing project of the Hermetic Kabbalah and the Hermetic tradition as this kind of like almost like Rosetta Stone yeah. of of the mystical world, mm-hmm. and and we mentioned it briefly before that there is this urge to to, to unify mm-hmm. the different traditions, you know, in this. In the '60s and '70s, during the counterculture, through today with with the New Age movement, there is that is essentially how I interpret what what the project is. Yeah. In a globalizing world, how do we, you know? Inter- Can I ask you to clarify that? Are you saying that that's how you interpret the New Age movement, or is that how you interpret things? Because you, I don't know what where the new why the new age movement ended up in that sentence. That's one. Of, sorry. Yeah. Well. Well. I mean, I. That's how. That's how I see the new age movement as like responding to a globalizing world where we have now growing respect for things that are not just Christianity, but we also have like various Native American traditions. Yep. We also have Hinduism. We have Buddhism. We. Yep. And there is, when I look at the New Age movement, I see a kind of uh, patchwork of these different traditions that are, and oftentimes the, the New Age movement gets gets criticized for blending and, and mixing uh, traditions indiscriminately. I would really like to make a distinction between the New Age and the occult. Okay, um, all right. So, so yeah, go, go ahead. I think that, I mean, the New Age movement, like you said, arose in the 60s. Maybe a little before, maybe with you could see its early roots in the work of Carl Jung mm-hmm. and people like that. Maybe before that, when you had the late 19th century, early 20th century, things like parapsychology were legitimate sciences that people, mm-hmm. you had parapsychologists who studied psychic phenomenon and stuff. And apparently the CIA. Also. Yeah, and apparently the CIA. <laughs> and they, but that coalesces into the 60s. And the New Age movement is a very, is, is 
first of all, I would say it's exoteric. It's it's made for the large mm-hmm. masses of people. Second of all, I'd say that there's something kind of fluffy and not grounded about it, mm-hmm. right? I, I'm very critical of New Ageism. I think that, mm-hmm. you know, it's a lot of, like, energy and, like, healing man and lots of stuff like that. The, the occult, on the other hand, is a little bit more... It's a little bit closer to like antiquated natural philosophy extended out into now and sort of reinterpreted as metaphors. You would talk about the elements earth, earth, wind, fire, and water, and you would reinterpret those as metaphors for different pieces of the human experience or something mm-hmm. like that. It's using this, this classical language that is largely comes from heretical Christianity, largely comes from hermetic philosophy, largely comes from ancient Greek and ancient Egypt and and all these different sources. It's a highly syncretic system, structuring them in initiatory systems and building this, it's, it's, it's building a stack of books, if you want, <laughs> and that stack of books is just different than the New Age stack of books. Mm-hmm. I would say, if anything, the New Age stack of books is kind of parasitic on the occult stack of books. Mm. I don't think that the New Age tradition, and I have read into it, I don't think that it's very robust or systematized mm. or... It's it still seems like it's in its infancy, but it it's yeah. a lot of like woo woo, right. quantum healing and stuff like that. And I just like to bre- like put as much distance between myself <laughs> and Deepak Chopra as I can. Right? I just yeah, they're not yeah. the same. Right? Okay. No, I I, I I understand that that impulse. And yeah, I guess the in in my mind, there's like I I haven't I haven't uh, dug deep into the uh, occult and esoteric sure. tradition as a as its own thing, and so like in my mind, it's it's always kind of maybe because the new age movement has drawn on and as you say parasitized yeah. from that because you know I I, have a, I associate the two because you know tarot cards right yeah. a lot of new age healers and practitioners they use tarot cards they sure. they use the symbolism of the 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 tree of life and so you know i think i think may, maybe a lot of people i'm, I'm going to forgive anyone uh, including myself who <laughs> who associates this, the 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 two i forgive you it's just going to be a little <laughs> bit of a challenge again when i think new age i think deepak and that's never okay i don't want to be associated with deepak i have a fascination with the occult i have very little interest in in new age in the new age movement but i would say that there is a little bit of crossover in that like wiccanism sort of bloomed in that period of the 60s with the new age movement Mm -hmm. if you ask a wiccan they'll claim an unbroken tradition back to salem I highly <laughs> doubt that. Um, but of course, you, every, everyone claims an unbroken tradition yeah, back to... Um, you, you see it in the Kabbalah, too. You. In Jewish Kabbalah. Oh, yeah, this was written by Moses. This Absolutely. was written by Abraham. So, but they... Wiccanism is kind of the New Agey version of witchcraft. Mm-hmm. But I would consider them... I'm, I'd, I'd let them into the world of the occult just because they're close enough to witchcraft, right? Mm-hmm. To, to belong there. But like... Scientology is New Age. That's that's the kind of stuff that I think of when I think of New Age. So this this opens up an interesting discussion that we wanted to have about appropriation. Yes, because there is. You were mentioning that how you came across an article. Yeah, about a, a rabbi. It wasn't a rabbi. It, wasn't it a was rabbi. a. It was as far as I 
could tell it was a younger Jewish girl, 30 or under, who had encountered Hermetic Kabbalah and was essentially offended and wrote an article claiming that it was an example of cultural appropriation, mm. right? And our question is, is it? Is, yeah, is Hermetic Kabbalah an example of cultural appropriation? Now, my impulse... So, I want to clarify by saying that I am a white male with no... <laughs> with no marginalized like components to my identity whatsoever i don't want to i don't really want to speak in a way that claims to to be an authority or something like that on the subject like i i would rather put myself in the shoes of someone trying to persuade you who's jewish <laughs> that it's not right and let you have the 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 final judgment on it but in my mind, there's a handful of reasons why I would say it's not. Mm -hmm. First of all, the oldest Kabbalistic text we have is the Sefer Yitzhara. It's a text that's extremely interesting. I don't know if you got around to reading it. I sent it to you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, no, I've, I've, I've perused it. I'm, I'm familiar with, with sure. the basics of it. So within the Sefer Yitzhara, we find astrology. We find elements of alchemy. We find the four classical elements we find these are all staples of traditions that that are outside of Judaism furthermore an element of Kabbalah that we're probably not going to talk about which is the mathematical element which is gematria right mm -hmm. there is a Greek you can do the same thing with Greek there's a system in Greek I don't it has so you, you put a number to each letter number to each letter and numerology yep. and that Greek tradition, it goes back to Plato and it goes back mm -hmm. like farther even. But so, Pythras. yeah, we have no idea which came first, the Jewish version or the Greek version. So Gematria is a big piece of the Kabbalah. And it, so it may, it's probably coming from somewhere else. There are elements of the Sephiroth's era that are certainly coming from other places. So the, the Kabbalah itself, I want to make the claim, is a syncretic tradition as opposed to a purely Jewish tradition. So from that standing on that on that hill, right? It's difficult for me to understand the argument that the so, argument that it's is, is is an appropriation. Yeah. So I I I I understand I understand that argument. And and this is actually gets into <clears throat> far beyond just this one topic, but talking about cultural appropriation more generally yeah there is no pure culture in the world yes that's true and in a sense every culture every religion is in some way a combination an admixture a development of various other traditions and sources mm -hmm. and so it this this gets to i think a question at the heart of the very notion of cultural appropriation yeah. is there any such thing as cultural appropriation if no culture is pure you could, though, make the argument that the way in which one goes about taking from another culture mm -hmm. matters. Yes, and it's it's one and you know this this is where my thinking on this gets uh, maybe a little bit more open or, or or hazy. There's there's a question in my mind of like, okay, what is an appropriate way? too appropriate yeah what is an appropriate way well or you might even change the the language here and say what is uh, an appropriate way to do cultural exchange yes so i want to say that what's interesting about cultural appropriation 
is that generally speaking, when somebody says that's cultural appropriation, that sentence is loaded with, you know, and that's bad. But I think that most of the time, most of the examples that I've seen of people pointing to cultural appropriation, something like the Cleveland Indians mascot, that's an example of cultural appropriation. I would argue that you could just call that racist caricature (laughs) and put aside the concept of cultural appropriation, right? Uh And I think in almost every instance, you can do that. I think that a lot of the worry around cultural appropriation is a worry around is an attempt to critique the history of imperialism and the history of colonialism yeah i've encountered a lot of people particularly younger people i don't mean to like diminish it by saying right but Mm -hmm. particularly younger younger people who seem to really center cultural appropriation as like the core of their politics Mm. like if they're talking about politics they're talking about cultural appropriation which i think is a little strange i i mean i think that there are much more persuasive arguments against colonial and imperial action like for instance material appropriation Mm. that to me seems to be a lot more important than cultural appropriation Mm. to be fair i think those who argue against cultural appropriation probably would also argue Mm -hmm. against the material uh, aspects they would yeah but they i i don't find them doing so as often right Mm -hmm. i don't see Mm -hmm. memes on the internet and people on facebook on the left arguing about that I see a lot more people who are pissed off about like a random white girl in a Pocahontas costume Mm -hmm. than I see people who are concerned about securing the basic material needs of indigenous people. Let's put most of our effort where the most good uh, and the most suffering currently is. Yeah, let's. This is a question of priorities. Right. Yeah. The other important thing that I wanted to raise, I. I Facebook messaged you that this argument, and I'm not sure how you responded to it, but cultural appropriation as a concept, to me, requires, before you can even launch a criticism of cultural appropriation, you need to have in place a concept of intellectual property. You need to have the concept that a community can own a set of ideas, or a person can own a set of ideas, something you copyright or something like that. You need a concept of intellectual property in order for the idea that you stole these ideas, in order for that to make sense, Mm -hmm. you you need to be able to have the concept of the ownership of ideas in the first place. Mm -hmm. And And that is a really late innovation. That is an innovation that did not take, certainly did not take place by the time that the 13th, 14th, 15th century, whenever the Hermetic Kabbalah sort of began to form itself. Mm-hmm. There's a period of Hellenic Egypt in where there were Jewish people as well, where there was some cultural exchange. And yeah. if the Kabbalah stretches back as an oral tradition to then, there's some possibility that it comes from then. We're not quite sure. Yeah. So here's here's where, and I, I actually didn't I didn't respond to that argument in the Facebook message because I, 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 I still didn't... I would actually disagree with it, and, mm. I, and I'll explain why. I I don't think that it necessarily depends on a notion of ownership of ideas mm. or or traditions. I think it what it what cultural appropriation is really pointing at is, I think how those traditions are 
are taken and and mm-hmm. integrated. So it, it's if if on the one hand, like you go and like one culture mingles with another, there is there is like relatively equal power dynamics between the two cultures. Yeah, that there is a a genuine like sharing of knowledge, interbreeding of ideas. Mm-hmm. That is one way of cultural exchange. Yeah, but I think what a lot of people that invoke cultural appropriation are pointing to is that there is a power quality, a yeah. differential <clears throat> between one culture and the other, where the the stronger culture takes the ideas, incorporates them maybe in a, in a shallow or exploitative way, and, and, doesn't, and there isn't any exchange. So I would then argue that Christian Kabbalah probably belongs to the sphere of cultural appropriation. Yes, and I, that's Kabbalah with a C the, yes. that they created to try and get Jews to convert to Christianity, Yes, which is different than Hermetic Kabbalah. And I would, but I would argue that Hermetic Kabbalah, the occult have been outcasted. They've been heretics. They've been put through the Inquisition. They've been, they, the reason why alchemy, you know, if, if you read alchemical literature, it's impenetrable. And a lot of the reason why is because they were trying to espouse doctrines that could get them in trouble with the church, mm-hmm. right? Supposedly, this is why the tarot was invented originally, was to convey certain occult secrets that you couldn't uh, just, you know, that you couldn't say. Couldn't just, yeah, a tea party. Uh, yeah. So there are biblical prohibitions against magic. There are biblical prohibitions against various things. You find all sorts of crazy stuff like like people people accusing uh, occultists eating babies and stuff like that. And, oh, but we, I I think you, that you too we we we, we, got, sure, we got yeah you got that too. <laughs> but I I would argue that that if there is such a thing as the occult community, it's a presumptuous to consider them as all a bunch of you know, organized white men. And B, it's also it's also the case that many of these people were in exile themselves. Many of them were risking torture themselves. Many of them were in prison. Many of them were, right. Or if they weren't, they were under constant threat of these things. So I don't necessarily think that the occult community belongs to, I don't see the occult community. And I, Really, it's up to the Jewish community to judge this and not not me. But I don't see the, the Jewish community as being, like, dominating the Jews and extracting this knowledge the, from the them. hermetic occult community. Yeah, the, hermet, the hermetic occult community <laughs> is dominating the Jews and extracting this knowledge from them. I see them as, and again, the origins are so murky, but potentially inheriting elements of it from the Christian Kabbalists who were much more loose-lipped about their Kabbalah than the the Jewish Kabbalah, potentially inheriting it, some of it from uh, the Holy Land, potentially inheriting it, right, from all these different scraps and sources mm-hmm. and sort of assembling it in that way. Also, the Sefer Yetzirah, once that book comes, because it, it appears that the Zohar has very little influence on the Hermetic Kabbalah. The mm-hmm. Sefer Yetzirah seems to be the primary text, which I think is a difference between the two traditions as well. Yeah, um, yeah. And, and so when it, this is... It's it's such a it's such a, such a strange position to be in. I think culturally, yeah. like where where I am in in this the dynamics of this conversation suddenly like have the 
privilege to judge uh, yeah. <laughs> something as 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 appropriative or not, offensive or not. Yeah, I, I think that that's a, a very strange position to be in. But nonetheless, people have feelings yeah. about traditions, and Absolutely. traditions matter. For for a while, when I when I first was getting into Jewish Kabbalah and studying it, I I very much had a kind of a chip on my shoulder mm-hmm. about the Hermetic Kabbalah, mm-hmm. know, tarot cards and and sure. you know occultism and then the New Age iterations of it. Sure, and I, I very much you know saw it as like okay that's 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 not genuine like yeah. this is the real stuff, and you know it's. Like I, I think my my shifting my my feelings about it have shifted, and and I think, as you pointed out, the the Jewish Kabbalah is, I don't I don't think that it is a pure authentic like mm-hmm. original uh, innovation. It it took influence from Gnosticism. Yeah. It took influence from Arthur Green, a very progressive rabbi who studies Kabbalah. He has a theory that there was inspiration from Christianity in the sense of the figure of the of Mother Mary as as a gentle feminine figure that people could pray to that would advocate to, to God on behest of, of the suffering. Mm-hmm. That was adopted by the, the Kabbalists in in the form of the Shekinah, which mm. is the, the kind of uh, female aspect of the Tree of Life. It's funny to, to, to say like, oh, you've stolen this from the Jewish Kabbalah, when the Jewish Kabbalah itself has taken elements from other traditions. Mm-hmm. And I think... It, with, I think you make a good case in, in terms of how the Hermetic Kabbalah has has absorbed the elements of the Jewish Kabbalah. Where it's not exactly clear how that process took place, and it doesn't seem like you, there's real evidence that oh, it was an exploitative one way or like yeah, an exploitative process. Sure. Furthermore, I would say that I want to say there's one more argument that I would levy, and that, that is that. In the question of, I don't really want this to be political, but in the question of Israel versus Palestine, (laughs) someone may pose a question, like, given the dodgy way that the state of Israel was set up in the 1940s, do you believe it has a right to exist? And I think the right answer to that question is, all states have dodgy means of being set up, <laughs> right? Uh, every single one of them, without exception, has some horrible violence at its inception. Where, where, where some and, group of people didn't get their, their land, or things were cut off in strange ways. Mm-hmm. Or they, they were conquered. Or they were conquered. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't think that... It, it's a form of the genetic fallacy to say that that because of that that dodgy beginning, therefore this state doesn't have a, a right to exist. I have many thoughts on that, which I won't go into. <laughs> but the I, say, I feel the same way about the Hermetic Kabbalah in that, well, let's say there was something exploitative or appropriative about how it happened. Mm-hmm. In reality, it probably happened by a variety of processes and not just one. It probably happened by various people in various places at various times being exposed to the Kabbalah. But let's say there was something fundamentally appropriative about it. To my mind, like, that sin happened in the 1500s, mm-hmm. and I think that it's it's an extreme view to therefore hold that every time somebody 
writes a book on the Hermetic Kabbalah now, it mm-hmm. therefore is a form of cultural appropriation. The cultural mm-hmm. appropriation has happened, if it happened, right? Mm-hmm. The Hermetic Kabbalah now is an established tradition, and you yeah. can't just take that away from people mm-hmm. because people five yeah. or six hundred years ago uh, did something unjust. Right. That doesn't make any sense to me. Yeah, yeah. And it's, I think, actually, Viktor Frankl wrote, you cannot hold people responsible for the things that their people did in the past. Yeah. Um, that uh, as much as you would like to, and as much as that in some intuitive way feels can feel just, you can only really condemn people for what they do in the present. Yeah. And if they fail to acknowledge the injustices or the, the, the ways in which something was terribly done in the past, okay, you can, you can condemn them for that. Yeah. But you cannot condemn them for something that they did not do. Yeah. And I think that the Hermetic Kabbalah has a right to exist, even if it was founded on unjust grounds in the same, for the same set of reasons that I think Israel has the right to exist. Insofar as any state has the right to exist, Israel has the right to exist. And I think that that's true about the Kabbalah. And I think most religions are probably founded on horrible, horrible <laughs> violence and bloodshed, too. We, we, um, have, we have some solid evidence for some of that, yeah. actually. And I think that that... So I, I don't find the argument that it is that current practitioners of the occult are are appropriating the Kabbalah in some ongoing way. I don't find that argument persuasive. And it sounds like you don't either. Yeah, yeah. I think that's yeah, that's where that's where I, I, I'm at right now. And I, I I have my preference for, for the Jewish Kabbalah, but then again that's because I'm Jewish. Yeah. But also it links you to a cultural tradition and history in a way that like I don't have. I'm adopted. I don't even have an ethnic like connection i have none i i was raised catholic that's the closest thing i got and and maybe and maybe that's part of the advantage or the the thing that attracts people to let's say occultism and esotericism is like if if you have lost the tradition or feel like you do not have one Mm -hmm. you can find it in this system yeah and it's it's also syncretic and encouraged to be syncretic. Mm-hmm. Syncretic, of course, syncretic. means assembling assembling a, relig- a belief system out of pieces of other belief systems, mm-hmm. right? Which which Christianity, for anyone that hasn't been paying attention, is incredibly syncretic. Yeah, Christianity is very syncretic. But any kind of contemporary, some people are call themselves pagans. Really, this is. You know, there's no unbroken history from the pagans who didn't even think of themselves as pagans to now paganism, right? There's no unbroken history there. And I don't mean to poke fun at at pagans. Of course, I don't mean to. And they know that full well as well. The, but... I don't remember where I was going to go with that. Well, let's let's transition into kind of a closing here, and and I want to I want to bring it around to what we started with, which is again how why this is important in in our own lives. Yeah, because I think that's that's an important takeaway, and and I think for me I I want to bring back well Gershom Shalom and the the way in which he why the Kabbalah was important to him, mm-hmm. I think in, in some ways is also why it's important to me. In that, well, Shalom was actually someone who was fairly cagey about what he actually believed. Sure. But he was not exactly, he wasn't, he wasn't, he doesn't strike me as a believer in, in the conventional sense. Mm. 
And I think that Jeffrey Kripal, who I did an interview with, teaches at, teaches at Rice, he has a whole book uh, about scholars that of mysticism whose scholarly works are themselves, in a way, works of mysticism. True. Like Derrida, for instance. Like Derrida, yeah. And like Mircea Eliade. Mm-hmm. And Gershom Shalom is one of those names that he points to. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I was fascinated when I realized this because it, the first time that I encountered Shalom, mm-hmm. I had that exact same impression that, mm-hmm. oh my God, this is a work of scholarship, a s- supposedly like from a secular or at least a skeptical perspective that when you read it, feels like you're reading magic. Yeah. And and the way in which it, it's, it's a different way of looking at the world. Mm-hmm. It, it brings you into the mindscape of the Kabbalists that saw every everything, the water, as a, as a symbol that connects to, to air, that is a symbol that connects to a certain day of the week, mm-hmm. that connects to a certain limb of God. Sure. We would call these correspondences in Hermetic Kabbalah. Yeah, and, and in, and in, Judea, in Judaism, in, in the Jewish Kabbalah, it is, it is a strong, it, it interweaves the world mm. in a way that makes the world feel like more whole yeah it, it's not just like individual things that are cut off from each other everything is entwined in in your imagination sure and it's extraordinarily elegant yeah right yeah. and we have we've talked brief i mean we've mentioned that there are 10 sephirot we're probably not going to have time to go through them unfortunately <laughs> and i really wish we could but there are also 22 paths on top of that that connection with the sephirot yeah and each one of those paths are supposed to represent Certainly in Hermetic Kabbalah, they're supposed to represent virtually every single form of transformation that exists in the universe as well. Hmm. So like like the path from from this sephirot to that sephirot is described in many different ways and and describes as a transition and the idea is that in your life you can be like I went through this kind of transition and it's very much like that, right? Or if you're giving a tarot reading, right, you might go, you might say you're going to go through, not, you know, you may, you might be going through this kind of transition or something like that. But, and sephirots are states as opposed to transitions. So so you're in a state of consciousness or a state of your life or the state of the way things are organized around you that might be reminiscent of Yisod or, or something like that. And there's a, there's a simple, it's a simple and elegant map. Mm-hmm. for talking about the human soul, for talking about the structure of, I don't want to say the universe, I'd rather say something more like our life world. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like like our, well, our, um, <clears throat> the imagined universe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's like, it's, there's, I, I like to think about it as the difference between, let's say, the, the physical world that our, our senses try and give us a, an approximation of yeah. as best they can, versus are imaginal and imagined symbolic representation of the world, yeah. which is kind of like the world of dreams. Mm-hmm. That when we're awake, we can we can see like a place that we that we lived in childhood. On the one hand, you have the physical facts of the place. On the other hand, mm-hmm. you have the emotional and symbolic feelings that you layer on top of it, mm-hmm. and that is essentially what the Kabbalistic systems do. They sure. layer on top of reality symbolic meaning that you cannot physically see but mm-hmm. but give a place a significance that it wouldn't otherwise have. Yeah, and also 
interlink things that might not be that you might not think of as interlinked mm-hmm. like for instance in in hermetic kabbalah there's there's one sphere one sephirot that's the sphere of the mind very much the mind and logical thinking and processing and stuff and then the other sphere which is the sphere of the heart and and love and is ruled by venus and stuff mm-hmm. and what connects them is the tower which is catastrophe the tower <laughs> is a tarot card which just means absolute catastrophe and that i think there's something so fundamentally poetic about that but there's it's also the case that the tower you have to be able to deconstruct your mental biases your predis your predispositions your your already existing ideas in order to in order to arrive at uh, a place where you can harmonize those two things so there's a way in which meditating on the relationship between these between these two sephirah and the the and the path between them and how they relate to each other i think yields wisdom in itself even at this is at a very superficial level even you know yeah but and and it gets like it's the difference between it's poetically true where where it's kayfabe (laughs) and for those who are not familiar with kayfabe uh you can either watch uh listen to our first conversation um but it's essentially the kind of uh theater make-believe theater of uh pro wrestling uh (laughs) that that for those that don't know pro wrestling is not real it's a show it's a theater i'm sorry i'm breaking somebody's heart out there but yeah it is breaking my heart (laughs) is that is that more or less yeah it's the it's the fictional universe that the characters inhabit that's what kayfabe is and there is a way in which our wittgenstein has that line the lang the limits of my language are the limits of my world Mm. and it if that's what my world is, then I think that Kabbalah is useful in organizing it. Mm. That's different than saying that the universe was created according to Kabbalah. I've mm. seen some people try to claim more on the Jewish side that, that it maps on to that the, it the maps physical, on to, how, how, how physicists think the cosmos was created. Yeah, like Zimsum is equated with the Big Bang and stuff like that. Right, um, yeah. Which which gets into that's that's dicey territory. Well, it's not it's not just dicey territory. I think that's just that's actually the the new age move. Yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah. No, I I agree. I would agree with that wholeheartedly. I think that the more you step onto, the less respect you have for for uh, modern science, the more you step into new age territory. But the I mean, yeah. I had something I was going to say, and I didn't forget it, but I realized it would b- bring us off on a very long tangent when I think you're trying to wrap up. Yeah. No, I think I think this is probably a good place to, to, to end it. We went through a lot in the past hour or so, and yeah, thank you everyone who has, have, has made it this far on this very wild ride through mm-hmm. occultism and mysticism. I think we kept it pretty grounded. <laughs> Honestly, I think, I yeah, think yeah. because these conversations can get really technical and really, really, really in depth, and there was a, we, a lot of restraint on, yes. on both of our parts in yeah. this conversation. Both of us have veins <laughs> popping out of our foreheads right now. We're like that meme kid. Who's, do you know who I'm talking? About? Yeah. 
Yeah, and and apologies to everyone who 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 know who knows more and, and says, oh, you missed this. You you you've simplified that. It's like, yes, we did yeah. for for good reason. But I will I will say out of out of genuine humbleness, I, I of all the systems of religion and, and mysticism that I know, I probably know the Jewish Kabbalah best, and yet I feel like I almost know nothing about it. Yes, so I want to say that about the Hermetic Kabbalah as well. And the reason why is that since Hermetic Kabbalah is basically here's 10 buckets and 22 transitional phases between them, you can throw infinite things into those buckets. Mm -hmm. And so all of the correspondences that go along that, that are embedded in Hermetic Kabbalah and have been over the past 2,000 years are just insane. Like, there mm. are just books and books and books. Like, you can just go on and on and on. And I really, and I really feel like it, it means, I feel like it's endless. Furthermore, I do also want to say that it's, one thing that I, that I thought about was that the Jewish Kabbalah has a different, like, really the difference is that the Jewish Kabbalah has a different aim than the Hermetic Kabbalah, mm-hmm. right? Because I think that the Jewish Kabbalah is so much more culturally embedded. It's, right. it's, it's tied it's specifically up... specifically tied to the Jewish people. Yeah, it's tied up with the analysis of the Torah. Mm-hmm. It's tied up with the Talmud. It's tied up with with et- interpretations of ethical prescriptions. It's, it's tied up with interpretations of historical circumstances of the Jewish people. It's tied mm-hmm. up with all these different things that are that are ethnic right Right. in origin whereas i think the hermetic kabbalah tries to take the structure of kabbalah for a more universal aim Mm -hmm. the other thing i wanted to say is that the biggest difference probably is that the hermetic kabbalah doesn't require a god which is a big which is a big difference and I, I would be remiss if I didn't get that out of the way because it's that's a really big difference that I've forgotten to mention throughout this entire conversation that, that's actually yeah I, that is a good a good distinction uh, although a last word I, I think that in the Jewish Kabbalah there is a God but it is not the God that most people think of yeah when they when they say God and it is the much more abstract notion of an infinite reality of from which everything else kind of descends and emanates. Part of the reason that I was drawn to Jewish Kabbalah is that my friend who introduced me to it, Gabriel Citrin, talked about this abstract Ein Sof, this infinite version of God that is not a bearded man in the sky, but it is something that feels much more akin to the very essence of reality. And it feels like it is a God that I can believe in. Yeah, I'm um, extremely attracted to apophatic conceptions of God. Exactly. Yeah. And one of the reasons why is that it creates this really odd space where atheism and theism become basically the same thing. And it creates a space where you can you can not necessarily accept the supernatural but still have a certain spiritualism and certain devotionality and, you know, all these different kinds of things. And the Jewish mystical God definitely belongs to that category. I would argue that the the best of the Christian tradition preserves that, the Christian mystics and the like. Mm. And I would argue that the Hermetic Kabbalah is even less attached is is so not attached to any figure of of godhead at all 
there is a godhead kind of but it doesn't require a god but whatever we'll get around to talking about that in a <laughs> bonus episode because we've recorded so much yeah we're gonna we're gonna let you guys off the hook thank you for listening through this episode we hope you enjoyed it and if you want more we're gonna do a little bonus episode so yeah find that for more good occultism mysticism kabbalah kabbalah Thank you for listening to Reenchantment. If you like this episode, please share it online or with a friend. It really does help the show grow. If you like the message of this podcast, please consider sustaining it by becoming a patron by going to reenchantmentpod.com and following the Patreon link. Or for one time contributions, you can also Venmo or Cash App to Daniel Shkolnik. And that's Daniel. S-H-K-O-L-N-I-K. I rely on patrons instead of ads to pay for all the tech, time, and production costs to make the show happen, so anything you can contribute is a tremendous help, and I'm grateful for it. Again, thank you for listening, and I'll see you next time on Reenchantment. enchantment